0: Welcome to The Uptrack, a podcast series hosted by Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. My name is Brad Rutledge and welcome to tonight's program. Let me do a a quick introduction of our organization uh, so those who may not be familiar um, can get to know us a little bit. Wasatch Backcountry Alliance is the recognized voice for the backcountry community involved in what we call human-powered winter recreation in the central Wasatch Mountains here in Salt Lake City, City, Utah. And human-powered means uh, that we go and recreate in the winter uh, using our legs and our lungs and and that sort of thing versus uh, riding ski lifts up. And so we represent a unified voice for our community. And that could be folks who want to go um, snowshoeing, splitboarding, backcountry skiing, um, just hiking in the winter in the central Wasatch. Uh, The central Wasatch is really defined by I-80 down to point of the mountain on the south end of the valley. If you recreate in in the Cottonwood Canyons here in Salt Lake City, you're probably pretty familiar and most likely frustrated with a lot of the transportation problems that are happening with traffic congestion, um, crowding, um, finding parking spots, and that sort of thing. And so uh, this podcast series is really dedicated towards diving deeper into a lot of the activity that's happening behind the scenes. Um, We've we've had uh, two episodes to date. Uh, Two weeks ago, we hosted the Central Wasatch Commission, uh, talking about their broader vision for, you know, how to make transportation work in the Central Wasatch And our first episode was amongst uh, some of the board members just talking about some of the issues and things that we're really concerned with. So uh, today we have a dedicated session to really talk about the busing uh, transportation solutions that are being considered by the Utah Department of Transportation uh, with they've already secured some funding and they're pursuing um, transportation alternatives for Little Cottonwood Canyon, uh, and and they're uh, moving through what is you know is called an EIS, the Environmental Impact Statement, and so with that, there are multiple transportation solutions that have been put together. Um, busing solutions, there's two um, busing options that have been put together. There's also some gondola options, and then finally, there's a cog train option that's been put together. And so, um, what we want to talk about today is is focus on busing that focus on Little Cottonwood Canyon, but we also want to have a bigger perspective for what's happening with just the central Wasatch. That includes Big Cottonwood Canyon, Mill Creek, and that sort of thing. So um, with that, uh, I would like to welcome our guests. Uh, so Utah uh, Transportation Authority has agreed to participate with us and, and dive a little bit deeper on busing. Um, Laura Hansen joined UTA in 2018 as the Director of Planning for UTA she oversees the long range planning and service planning divisions which are responsible for determining the need for timing and design for of uh, future transit sol- uh, services prior to joining UTA Laura served as the executive director of the loan or the Jordan River Commission as a private planning consultant Laura thanks so much for being here
1: thank you happy to join you
0: Yeah. Uh, Next, uh, Lauren Simpson is the Regional General Manager for Bus Service in Salt Lake County. He's responsible for the operation of ski service and maintenance of the vehicles. He has been with UTA for 24 years and involved with Cottonwood Canyon Service in his current capacity for the past 14 years. Lauren, thanks for also joining us.
2: Thanks for the invitation.
0: You're going to have some really great perspective on um, the changes that have occurred, given your uh, your history, kind of being a veteran of seeing the, a lot of these changes over the the years. So this will be um, really welcome um, and happy to have you guys both here. Uh, joining myself, Tom Diegel is a co-founder of Wasatch Backcountry Alliance and a current board member. Um, he serves as a vice president um, to Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. He's a He's a common contributor to Avalanche forecasts and Avalanche Reports with Utah Avalanche Center, and is also a contributor to the Ascent Backcountry Journal magazine. Did I get that all right, Tom?
3: Sure. Yeah, it's fine.
0: Thanks, Brad. I think I missed some some of that up. But uh, finally, my name's Brad Rutledge. I am, uh, along with Tom and a few others, one of the co-founders of our organization, Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. Right uh, as we get started here, um, I provided just a little bit of a snapshot into what's happening with some funding through the Utah Department of Transportation and what they're calling the LCCEIS, all the acronyms. Um, But before we get started with that, I wanted to turn it over to Lauren and Laura to talk about, you know, can you guys provide us a little bit of an overview about the existing busing programs that are serving Big Cottonwood, Little Cottonwood. Uh, in your experience, what's working? You know what's not working. What kind of challenges exist with the existing program? Um, you know what sort of trends have you seen? You know over the years, and you know maybe even you know what does success look like as we look at you know what UTAs'
2: role is in in you know helping people get where they need to be. Great, right. maybe Laura, I can I can uh, take a start at this if that's okay, and if I could share a screen. I have a few things here that might be helpful. All right, here we go. Great, well, this shows 2018-2019 ski report. This is some slides that we would used in a previous um, presentation that really will be helpful, I think, for this presentation because it reflects a full normal ski season, uh, our last uh, pre-COVID. But we operate a ski service in both canyons, as you know, bus service, and uh, um, let me skip a few slides here. Something that may be of interest to you. This slide shows where our riders come from. It's kind of a gee whiz piece of information, but I think it's really cool to see um, the location of, uh, from around the world, that people are coming to ski in our canyons. And so it just shows the interest and the importance of, of uh, giving a good experience to those that come. In Salt Lake, we have three routes currently, Um, two that service Little Cottonwood Canyon and one that service Big Cottonwood Canyon. The 953 and the 994 service Little, the 972 uh, up Big Cottonwood. During peaks, they both provide at least 15 minute frequency. And in Little Cottonwood Canyon, when you combine the two routes, it's actually about 10 minute frequency meaning a bus going up and down that canyon every 10 to 15 minutes during the peak hours. We have 38 buses that we run this service between the two canyons. Um, I have another slide that will go into a little more depth in terms of ridership. Um, We've operated service in the canyon since the 70s. That's well before my tenure at UTA, of course. Um, And in the 2018, 2019 season was a a high season for us. I'm gonna give a little bit of background to show some of the changes we made because I think that's important to to know and to think about as we start planning for the future, kind of what has worked in the past to increase our ridership. Uh, We have dedicated supervisors that uh, oversee uh, the dispatching of operations because The dynamics of the canyons uh, are such with weather and congestion that we have to adjust on the fly. And so we have supervisors there um, throughout the the service day to adjust our service as needed. Uh, Last week was a good example of that with canyons being shut down and and the challenges presented there. um, We needed to have supervisors there and we do to adjust on the fly. We only will have experienced operators operating that service. As you can imagine, that's a challenging service in those canyons with the slick roads and and the congestion. We have specialized vehicles that we use for that service. Most of our city buses are 40-foot buses. You're familiar with those uh, typical buses, but the canyon service, we operate with specialized buses that are 35 feet. They have special braking systems that our other buses do not have in order to brake and keep it safe up and down that terrain. And we have an automatically deployable chain uh, that uh, with push of a button, it can deploy and that keeps our buses uh, safe up and down those, those canyons. In the 2016, 2017 ski season, we did a redesign of the service. Uh, this map here that I'm showing you shows what it looked like the year before and for about a decade before that. And you can see the lines, the colors on the map showing that we had about eight routes that covered the valley, the Salt Lake Valley that's um, showing from the downtown area. And then you see the Cottonwood Canyons there. We had eight routes that that covered uh, north and south in the valley, up and down the canyons. and And we had kind of hit a a plateau in terms of ridership seemed like no matter what we did we didn't really gain a lot of ridership and so we got together with the ski resorts and others and huddled and identified we needed more frequency in the canyons Um, that's a convenience that people look for the less they have to plan their trip they can just show up and know that a bus will be there pretty quickly the more likely they will be to ride it but we have limited budget So we didn't have additional dollars to invest in that frequency so we redesigned it and so we took the eight routes and simplified them into three routes they're shorter routes and so we were able to increase the frequency about 30 percent more trips up and down the canyon and that's where we began this 10 to 15 minute frequency during the headways and both of them connect on the west end to a track station and then the number of park and ride lots on the way up and down the canyon. So what happened when we did that? You can see on this screen, um, in 2015, 2016, we had about 217,000 boardings that ski season. And when we implemented this change where we reduced the coverage, but by doing that, increased the frequency up and down the canyon, you can see we jumped by about 26% to 273,000 uh, boardings that year. And uh, and then again, in the 2018, 2019 season, we made one other modification with the Central Wasatch Commission and consultation with uh, many stakeholders where we shortened one route again to add some more frequency with the limited resources that we've had. And we also eliminated a couple of um, stops along the way. We, had, we stopped servicing the park and ride lot at the base of, Little Cottonwood Canyon. And the reason for that was speed. We found we were getting delayed so much in that lot um, that it slowed down our ability to turn that bus around and add frequency. And so we experimented that year by eliminating that uh, park and ride lot and, and it, encouraging people to use the one at 94 South outside the canyon. And you can see the result of that increased frequency as well as a good ski year. Um, it went up. Again, up to 320,000 boardings. Now, that was the 2018 2019 year. The 2019 2020 was exceeding that rate. We continued with the same service level and the same strategies that we had in 2018 2019, but then COVID hit. And so uh, everything changed. In fact, we had to shut down the season early. And so of course, our ridership is not shown here. Um, our ridership ended up being for the year, much less, um, but prior to shutting it down pre-COVID, we would we were, our trajectory was to exceed that 320,000 uh, trips. Um, maybe I could have Laura talk a little bit about some, there are a couple of slides here, to talk about some of our partners that we work with, and then um, we can answer any questions.
1: Sure. Um, thanks, Lauren. And this slide is a, a a little bit old because it mentioned the CC TAP um, planning study, uh, which um, the Central Wasatch Commission has kind of changed and is now um, calling the mountain transportation system planning process. But uh, we work really closely with the Central Wasatch Commission. Um, UTA is a an ex-officio member of the commission. So we're a non-voting um, member of the commission and one of our trustees, Carlton Christensen, sits on the board. Um, And so we work closely with them, had a great collaborative relationship where they ask us for information and we provide it as as transit experts. Uh, And then obviously we're working really closely with UDOT through this EIS process as well. We are considered a uh, collaborating partner on the EIS study which means that um, we're not funding it, we're not leading it, um, but they see us as a critical stakeholder Um, And so they've been very collaborative with us, reaching out, um, asking for information. A lot of the numbers um, that they're using in the study are those that we provided. Um, And so we're working really closely together to review chapters of the document, provide corrections um, and make edits there. And then we work really closely with um, the local governments, Salt Lake County and the various different cities, um, Cottonwood Heights, Sandy, Draper, Mill Creek, um, Salt Lake City, um, on all kinds of things. Um, and then there's something called the Regional Transportation Plan and an organization called the Wasatch Front Regional Council um, leads the development of that. Again, we're very close partners. It's a very collaborative relationship. And the RTP or the Regional Transportation Plan is a document that looks at 30 years into the future and says, what are all the various different major transportation projects and needs that our our region has, and then how do we pay for it? And so it breaks them up into funding phases and implementation phases. Um, And so that's another key partner. And then uh, we can can skip the service choices topic other than-
0: Really quick, Laura, I wanted to suggest that you're welcome to add Wasatch Backcountry Alliance as a partner with your planning efforts. Um, I can send you the logo, WBA, good to go that'd
1: be fantastic thank you we we are happy to partner and collaborate with anybody out there who who wants to visit with us Um, and the last point i was going to make on the on the service choices going back to those uh route maps that lauren shared in service choices we really asked our our community members do you would you rather see coverage uh covering as many places as possible with our bus service Or would you rather have as much frequency as possible? And this is a frequency-oriented map, and you can see that higher frequency really drives uh, higher ridership as well um, because we can consolidate our resources and provide a higher quality service in the places that we do. So with that, um, I will turn it back to Lauren or to you, Brad, actually.
0: okay, great. Well, thank you for the the introduction. uh, you know, it's interesting to see you know some of the factors that are influencing ridership. You know, and I know, Lauren, you mentioned this, these changes, but you also acknowledged it was a big snow year last year as well, uh, or the, you know, the year before. I guess that year that you were you were quoting. What, you know, I really quickly, like, what what do you perceive, like, from your point of view, what does a successful transportation solution look like uh, with buses? you know, um, I know you're measuring historical data and those types of things, but like for the layman, you know, just people that want to get up and go skiing, um, you know, what what role are busses playing today? And, you know, what what does success look like?
1: Lauren, maybe I could take the first out of that and then hand it to you for the details.
2: Yeah, that'd, sure.
1: Um, but, you know, with all public transit solutions, Um, The ideal scenario is when it takes you where you want to go, when you want to go, um, you feel safe, um, it's convenient, it's affordable, you feel like it's a good use of your time. So those are the things that we always try to strive for with our public transit. um, And there are parameters um, and limitations that, you know, make some of those things easier to accomplish than others. Um, But as a whole, you know, I think the ideal scenario is is one that accomplishes all of those things, and it also kind of depends on who you are, right? I'm a mom, I have kids, we go skiing together every weekend with the family. Schlepping a whole bunch of gear with little people who don't like to carry their own stuff um, and have a hard time walking in boots is challenging, right? So walking to a bus stop in your neighborhood, catching the bus and riding up may not work very well for that. But if you're if you're you know physically fit, you can walk to a bus stop, you can easily carry your gear, no big deal. So um, I think a lot of it depends on, on who you are. And we don't, at UTA, need to be the perfect solution for everyone, um, but we try to serve as many people as we can
0: makes sense. Um, you know, I have kind of a follow-up question just at a high level before we get more specific with what's happening with UDOT, Little Cottonwood Canyon, and the, you know, the EIS. Um, what, what do you think, you know, from your points of view in individuals with the history that you have, um, you know, in, in your careers and that sort of thing, but also as users of, you know, trying to transport, get up, get up to, you know, in the canyons, what should the goals be Focused on, um, in terms of, you know, how people would are getting to the destinations that they want to get to. So we, you know, Wasatch Backcountry Alliance. We're talking about getting to trailheads versus resorts. Most of our members actually also frequently patronize the resorts as well. Um, But from a high level, what what should the goals look like? You know, to help us define what we're trying to achieve because a lot of times. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things that i picked up on as I've been learning more about this is all these organizations on the slide that you presented, for example, there's different, you know, um, objectives and goals and what they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, right now there are, there's money allocated through UDOT for Little Cottonwood Canyon, but it's hard for us to look at this and say, hey, what's, what about Big Cottonwood Canyon? You know, if we start doing things for Little Cottonwood Canyon, isn't that going to affect big Cottonwood Canyon as well and Mill Creek. And uh, anyway, I want to just turn it over to you to say, you know, kind of from a high level speaking to people who aren't do that don't do this as a profession, you know, what is, what kind of goals should we be talking about as we, as we
2: look at this? Well, from UTA's perspective, I think ridership is always a key measure of success, right? That's what we're there for. And so um, we always have a limited uh, pie limited resources to work with. So our focus and our goals are how do we use those the best that we can to move the most people possible. And that forces us in the community to make decisions about where we're going to, uh, as, as Laura mentioned, do we wanna cover more areas or do we wanna provide more frequency? And, and the ridership focus, you know, leads, leads us to a decision of, of frequency. Another important measure I think that drives ridership is speed, travel time. Uh, people know that uh, their own vehicle is, is super convenient, but then they've got to look for parking and maybe there isn't going to be parking available. and. So the shorter the travel time, including waiting time, if you're having to transfer, say, between a train and a bus and that kind of thing, the more likely people are going to ride. And so that's another measure that's an important measure of how long is it going to take? And then the cost, of course, cost for people. What's the cost for them in comparison to to their own personal time and their their vehicle cost? And um, you had asked a minute ago, and maybe we'll come back to this, because I think there's a lot to say about this as we look forward to the future. But when it comes to travel time, congestion is such a challenge. And that may sound funny. I think, well, of course, that's that's the reason you have public transit, but congestion is also our nemesis. It is our one of our biggest challenges to providing the kind of service that people really are looking for. And so hopefully we'll have a little bit of time to talk a bit more about that before we get too far. Right. Yeah, Laura, did you have one? i
1: Go I'm sorry, Brad. I was going to say, I'd, I'd add it in terms of goals, um, you know, we, we really do need to think holistically. Um, the EIS necessarily has a scope, um, you know, for a lot of good legal reasons. They have to draw some boundaries. On what they study, but um, whatever we come up with is going to have to be a, a holistic approach. We are good at that. We think system wide at UTA all the time, from Box Elder all the way down to Santaquin. Um, you know, I think it's going to take a lot of different people coming together, and probably not one single silver bullet solution. I think it's probably going to be a combination of things.
0: Um- I have another quick question that I want to circle Tom in um, because he has a a lot of um, insight and and thoughts and questions around this as well. But um, Lauren, um, I just started thinking, you know, when you were outlining some of the goals, um, how do you, what, what works to get people out of their cars? That's inconvenient. You know, Laura, you hit on something that I deal with, you know, I've got, you know, family and, you know, every time you've got to like, you know, load the car, then unload and do something else. it It's a challenge. Um, and it's frankly, even though people really want to be a part of it, you know, we Wasatch Backcountry Alliance for several years has put together an event um, called Shuttle Day. And we have these sprinter vans and we bring people up to disperse trailheads, drop them off and pick them up. And it's really like a limousine service. It's really kind of cool people who do it have a great experience, but we surveyed people after, you know, experimenting with this to get feedback. Um, and the, the goal of the program is to raise awareness around transportation issues and some of the solutions that exist today. Um, and what we kind of found reading between the lines was that people love the idea of people riding the shuttle, riding the bus, but as long as those people do it, I don't want to do it. And, um, you know, it seems really kind of common, even if you just, you know, speak with your friends, you know, everyone else should do. It. I love it. It's a great idea. Just, you know, it's not for me. So what's been successful in getting people
2: out of their cars? Uh, frequency. Our experience has been frequency. And uh, the less people have to plan their trip, they can just show up and know, hey, this park and ride lot, I know a bus comes and I'm going to wait at most 15 minutes. And it's going to get me where I need to go that's got more people out of the cars, the challenge again is if we have such congestion in the canyons that even the buses can't move quickly, then that's a deterrent people thinking you know, maybe I could drive faster. Um, And, and so the travel time really has has a a big impact there, Um, I don't know Laura that's a perfect question for a planner like you to, to address as well.
1: No, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head there, Lauren. I, I use the analogy, imagine if your driveway had a gate at the end of it, and it would open once an hour. And so you can go to the grocery store, you can take her, your car wherever you want. You have to plan around that gate opening, and then also be open when you want to come back home. If it opens more frequently, you have all kinds of flexibility. And so that's the you know the analogy for frequency on transit. It gives you so much more flexibility.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um... What about disincentives? You know, it doesn't seem like people really get out of their car unless they have to. You know, so I've been up to Jackson Hole recently, and um, the parking really—you have to park somewhere and then and take a bus, and it's not a big deal. Um, and then when I was up in that area, I also wanted to go up with my family and ski at Grand Targhee. Well, their parking lot filled up, and it's actually kind of a mess, like it's been down here. Um, and so it really forced people that want to go up and ski they knew the parking lot was going to be full to to take the shuttle and the bus from town it's like a 25 minute drive and uh me and my family did it and it was actually fantastic except for on the way down that bus and i know it was an anomaly it was like 45 minutes late and i was like you yeah, know this probably doesn't always happen but the reason people are doing is you you're sort of are forced to do it um and it seems like some sort of I don't know, forcing mechanism seems required because most people, it's just too
2: convenient. You get in your car and you don't want to get out of your car. That's what I was going to say. What's the disincentive to take transit? The fact that there is no disincentive to drive. Mm, there you go. That makes sense. So so if you have an option and, and you know, take your vehicle up and if you're, if you're confident that you can get a, a parking spot, right. then um, that's a disincentive to look for other alternatives, something we need to have really good service there, frequency, get people where they need to go, but then there needs to be some kind of incentive to get there. I think uh, I love Southern Utah and I go to Zion's quite often and everybody uses the shuttle. And why? Because that's what's available and that's what you have to use to get in there. And it works great because that shuttle has a free, a free, um, access and, uh and no deterrence, it's quick, it's as fast as your car, they're not competing with traffic. So that kind of gets us to looking forward to the future. But uh, yeah, we need some incentives to ride and disincentives to drive. I have one follow-up question to that, and then I know uh, Tom has a good uh, direct question
0: for, for both of you. Um, do, do you feel like um, you know we'll get to the point where we'll really be restricting automobile traffic, you know, um, fun, you know, charging high fees and, you know, essentially requiring people to do it. It it seems to me, in my experience, you don't do it unless you have to, or it's extremely expensive, or there's, you know, there's just not going to be any parking. Um, do do you feel like that's going to be part of the, the solution that we're, you know, I don't know if we would ever go to like no cars except essential, you know, workers and things like that, but like for recreational users, I mean, do you see that as being like a viable thing that would happen? Would you be in favor of that?
1: Do you know, not soon. Um, I think Utah's approach really is to provide a carrot more than a stick. I think that's just part of our culture here in Utah. Um, And maybe combining the the carrot with the stick a little bit. And so you have a little bit of a nudge um, from both directions. Um, You know, our region is expected to double in population by 2065. That's a lot of people. Um, And we don't necessarily have, I mean, we're bounded by mountains and lakes. We don't have space to build roads to solve all of our congestion problems. And so at some point, it's going to get so congested that we're going to have to make some tougher decisions. And that may mean tolling, it may mean, um, you know, Congestion management, um, congestion and pricing on freeways. Um, you know, there's going to have to be a combination of policy tools. And one that we found actually um, is is interesting is free free transit makes a big difference too. So you know, it, not just the the kind of penalizing tools, but we can incentivize um, people to ride transit as well.
0: Uh, Tom, I, uh, let's transition a little bit and start talking a little bit more specifically about you know the little cottonwood canyon and the transportation alternatives out there i'll turn it over to you great
3: thanks brad um i think that most people who are paying attention know that and looked at the eis that there are effectively three options that udot has come up with the first is um expanding bus service and sort of the other sort of um aspects of that, like possibly a third lane, possibly snow sheds. Um, Another is a gondola, and another is a cog train system up Little Cottonwood Canyon. And as everyone knows, each of these, uh, well, at least the the gondola and the um, train have their their advocates, including, uh, interestingly enough, the former director of the UTA, who I'm sure you know well, is a big advocate for the, the train. Um, so I'd like to, I think that a lot of people have their own opinions about, well, a gondola or a train or, or buses, and we, part of this process is for people to sort of understand those more thoroughly and be able to vet them themselves. And certainly that's what the Central Wasatch Commission is doing. And for that matter, the governor and the state legislature, and probably the congressional delegation as well, are trying to figure out what's going to be best. So what I'd like to hear from you guys is uh, sort of, are can you advocate to us that um, expanded bus system and expanded bus system is indeed the preferred solution, or or really is it? You may not even necessarily think think that it might be something in conjunction. So can you speak directly to the three options and how your the bus option fits into that?
1: Sure, I'll take a stab at it, Lauren, and then um, jump in however you like. Um, yeah, it's we're in kind of an unusual position and a little uneven playing field because we're a public agency, right? We operate on public tax dollars. We're not a business. We don't have, I mean, we have a product to sell. Um, but our job really is to be really, um, you know, factual and provide good information and allow the process, um, the right project to emerge or the right solution to emerge from the public process. And so, um, I think by UTA just trying to be very factual and just saying these are the limitations, um, it comes across sometimes that perhaps we don't, you know, buses and this is. is as viable as the other solutions, I think it is, as long as it has the right support. Um, we love bus, we love trains, we love all the modes at UTA. Um, and there's a right solution and a right place for each of those different modes. Um, and the key is just you know, figuring out which one fits in that particular setting or need. Um, and so in order to make bus viable, uh, Lauren, Lauren mentioned this earlier, we've got to deal with the congestion so that the buses can move that's the biggest constraint. Um, but we really do think buses could work great. Um, I'm not gonna speculate and say which of the three alternatives that I think is best um, because I don't think that's our role as a public agency, um, but I do think the right project will will emerge from the process.
0: Laura, Laura uh, to follow up to that, and I understand your position and respect it, but. Um you know, do you personally have a favorite that you feel like this would work? Sometimes, you know, I've also heard in, in exploring this a little bit that people think the buses are part of the solution, but it's like gondola or train. Um, you know, I mean, you, you get this, right? You know it. And, and I understand your role of, you know, sort of, you know, playing that role. But I, I think in many ways, like, we'd love to hear, like, what, what do you really think is the right solution? I mean, do you think that you said we could make buses work if we have to or something? Or like I love buses and that's the right solution. I mean, what what do you personally think for real?
1: Oh, you're you're putting me on the spot here and I'm gonna get in Absolutely. trouble with my work. But um no, you know, I think it's gonna be a combination. I think buses will always be part of the canyon solutions, no matter what capital project we build at some point in the future. Um there's there's you know, there's always gonna be a role for public buses. Um so I think a hybrid approach is going to be uh, what happens long term, probably. Um, I'm a big proponent of growing into transit, um, starting with something that's attainable, it's manageable, um, meets the the needs of today, while having a big vision for the future. So, um, you know, a hundred years from now, we're probably going to need we're probably going to need a capital project at some point. Um, whether we're ready for that right now or not, um, I'm going to let the process determine that.
2: And I add something to that Um, from from the one that runs this service, right? My preferred solution is the solution that really addresses the congestion, right? And any of those alternatives could. Um, They have different pricing and each has their pros and cons, but uh, our number one challenge right now in the canyons is there are two actually, so the number, the two, biggest challenges we have is we have limited funding and the congestion that exists currently. And if I had to prioritize those currently, I would put congestion first. And the reason for that is, the reason for that is we have 10 to 15 minute frequency during the peaks um, in Little Cottonwood Canyon. But when that Canyon is congested, um, when we're, uh, those buses are not making those round trips as this is on the schedule. One of the proposals in the EIS is to have 24 buses per hour in Little Cottonwood Canyon cycling through. If we don't deal with the traffic that's that's there, it's kind of which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, they're both part of the, you needed transportation in order to reduce the congestion, but you've got to do something to allow those buses to move. Let me give you an example, on a busy day, when most people are riding and it matters to the most, there's fresh powder. Our buses might be stuck for 20 to 40 minutes in a, uh, a park and ride lot in the canyons, one of the ski resorts, simply because of the parking lot is so full. That means that bus isn't cycling through. And so we have it funded, we have the driver there, we have the bus there, but it can't move. So instead of doing the you know, 12 per hour or 24, as in one of the proposals, it's significantly less. And so we have to do something to make whatever the mode is that it can move up and down the canyon and not uh, be um, slowed down like it is now so much with the congestion. One car that uh, doesn't have the right snow tires and change as you know, can stop and back everything up and the bus is stuck with everyone else. So.
1: You know,
0: two things I wanted to uh, talk about um, is that, that both of you just highlighted. One, would the third, third lane as one of the bus alternatives serve to re- alleviate that congestion, dedicated lane, um, and what are, you know, around that large project, um, you know, what are the impacts comparing the third lane to the the cog train, let's say? Environmental impacts, time frame impacts, cost impacts. Um, do you guys think that's a good solution to alleviate congestion? So, just third lane would be the first question. Then, a follow up question that I know people talk about is: Are there plans to impr- um, uh, grow the parking um, outside of the base of the canyons? Um, what does that look like? And are, and what and. Uh, it, how do we get people more from their homes? I think Laura, you talked about getting people from their homes up there versus bringing people to the mouth of the canyon, creating congestion, and then having them get out of their vehicles and go to a new mode. So there's a couple of questions. One about the, the third lane and the, the, expen- the expansion of a dedicated lane, and then some questions about parking. Lauren
1: and I are both waiting for
2: each other to take it. Yeah, okay. you, you, you start. Um,
1: you know, obviously a third lane allows the buses to move faster, right? It's uh, there's more roadway capacity allows allows the bus to move faster. The alternatives, there's some little uh, fact sheets that UDOT has on their website that explain this really easily. They show travel times with and without it. Um, if it's a transit only lane, of, of course that allows us to move even faster. There are some other things that we could do. Of course, there's impacts with that too, right? It's a larger footprint. Um, There's water quality impacts of that there's some visual impacts, I think, of wildlife crossings um, having that many cars um, going up and down the Canyon creates a real big barrier for wildlife, Um, so you know there's there's pros and cons of all of these so it depends on which. uh, Which element you're analyzing and if it's purely travel time it makes it makes a big difference for us, it really does.
2: yeah as long as there are cars in the Canyon that we're competing with, and there needs to be some strategies that make it so that we um, aren't stuck with everyone else. Otherwise we can double the amount of investment and not deliver any more service effectively, right? Because they're sitting there. Um, and so a third lane is, is a really interesting idea, but there's some other things as well that may not replace that. But um, if we can keep those buses on the, 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 the road itself and out of parking lots, if we could uh, pick up and drop off people at the resorts without going into their parking lots, boy, you could save sometimes twenty minutes each stop. And think what that could do to cycle that bus, use the resources that we have already to increase the frequency and make it a a much faster trip.
0: How do you do that? Can you describe what? Can you describe what that would what that would mean? I I guess I'm not sure. Just maybe give the picture of um, the dropping off, you know, versus going into the parking lots. I don't I don't know.
2: Yeah, so it would. There need to be some infrastructure built, right? Um, where that bus would stop and have a stop on the Canyon Road, not in the, the in the uh, parking lot. That means the ski resorts would need to have some infrastructure to get the people from the bus to the lift in in a in a pretty simple way. And so this is a bit down the road, but things like that are. are would save significant time and make it possible to increase, uh, our frequency, uh, without much increase in cost. Are, are, are you guys in favor of a third lane?
1: You know, I, again, I think it's, we want to let the process kind of determine whether, you know, no, that's, no, no, no. I know we're so political. I know it's hard. It's hard. Um, but you know, it, there's no doubt about it. It does speed up the traffic um, or speed up the, the buses. One thing I wanted to mention, being that you're the Backcountry Alliance, um, buses are so much more flexible to address uh, trailheads. Trail, you know, if you're not just going directly to the resort, there's so much more flexibility with the bus system to accommodate that. Um, but the more times you stop, the slower the the travel time is, and so there's a the trade-off there as well. I have a
3: question uh, to, to that point. Is um, specific to Little Cottonwood Canyon, as you probably know. The the um, main non Alta uh, bus stop or trailhead for us is the White Pine trailhead, um, and the bus, as everybody knows, the bus does not stop there. Um, it's a bit of a blind corner. Um, it's a limited, you know, there's no ability for a bus turn around there, etc. So. Um, given that uh, any of these macro solutions that UDOT is um, sort of talking about in their EIS are uh, at least several, if not many, years out, um, what can U- UTA do about servicing uh, the white pine lot, since, as you point out, a bus is a lot more convenient for dispersed user users?
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, if we could get together with the right stakeholders, the Forest Service and um, UDOT, it's totally possible to build some additional uh, bus stops in places that would access those trailheads. Um, We do have a limitation that any bus stop we build needs to be ADA accessible, which I know feels sort of silly when you're talking about um, a, a really steep trailhead, right? Um, but it is something that that we need to uh, include. So there would be some infrastructure, there would be a concrete pad um, that would allow the bus to uh, let a wheelchair out. But that's something we could do right away, I think with the money, uh, you know, if there was money for it.
2: There would also need to be an, an easement, um, you know, a shoulder there that would be su- sufficient to get that bus out of the traffic's way simply for safety.
0: Um one of the things uh i want to backtrack just really quick um because we're you know these always just you run out of time really quickly um, um and we didn't really talk about parking and so maybe we can circle back if we have a few minutes but um of the uh, little cottonwood canyon eis and there's the two busing alternative transportation alternatives can you provide like a really brief kind of highlight of the differences of the alternatives and what the visions look like for those? And then maybe just provide us with what are the pros and cons of both of those? And you know, I'd love to get your personal opinion on what you really like. Um, and you know, th- to be honest, like you know, we heard CWC kind of say on our podcast two weeks ago that they didn't feel like buses standalone could do it. Now I heard both of you say that it's possible. Um, and so anyway, if, could you provide a quick snapshot and just because we're, you know, don't have a ton of time and give us some perspective on both of those.
1: Yeah. I'm going to share a sli- uh, my screen really fast. So these are these great little fact sheets that UDOT's put together that describe the different alternatives. It's a great, easy way to compare and contrast the alternatives. Um, the, the main elements of the bus alternatives are, um, some expansion of, roadway width along Wasatch Boulevard, um, because not only do we see that red snake of lights in the canyon, uh, but there's a lot of congestion just getting to the mouth of the canyon. Um, And so that's one of the ideas um, included in this proposal is expanding that to allow us to move a little bit um, faster through there. The big difference is that there is no roadway widening in the canyon itself in one of the alternatives. In the other alternative, they do include roadway widening, so that's that peak only or bus shoulder uh, bus only shoulder lanes. the The big trade-offs there are cost. Um, to add an additional lane, I don't know if you guys can see my cursor, but it's about they estimate four hundred and eighty one million dollars uh, versus three hundred and thirty four million in capital costs on the um, the alternative without the third lane. The other big trade-off is travel time. Um, 54 minutes of travel time uh, if you were to ride transit without the third lane versus 36 minutes of travel time with the third lane. Um, The one thing that is interesting too is that even if you don't ride transit, having that third lane um, also reduces the travel time for driving a personal vehicle from 42 minutes to um, 38 minutes. Both include snowsheds, uh, which I know are... are, um, a heated subject for a lot of people, Um, you know, whether or not they're needed, I I don't know. I'm not in, you know, one of UDOT's avalanche people, so I don't know um, about that. But again, anything that keeps traffic moving, um, and eliminates the need to to close the road um, would would keep us moving. So really, the big difference is is just this third lane piece. And I believe that tolling and some sort of vehicle occupancy management is included in both scenarios as well.
0: Do you, Do you like one of the uh, solutions over the other one? Um, you know.
1: You know, again, I think it really depends on on what your what your focus is, right? I went into urban planning because I, I thought, you know, first I wanted to be a forest ranger. I wanted to be outside all the time. And, and then I finally learned that, you know, if I plan our cities better, we can preserve the natural spaces that we love um, and, and keep them pristine. And so I I really truly feel very conflicted about all of these. I have such a personal environmental ethic. Um, But also we want to keep the the buses moving and move people. Um, And so, you know, I I think it's an interesting predicament. Um, I also think it's interesting, this idea kind of the carrying capacity of the canyons, right, if we put in a solution that moves a ton of people up and down the canyon you know, are we going to overwhelm the ability of our of our beautiful mountains to to manage that many people? And what are all the impacts of that? And so, boy, there are no easy solutions here whatsoever.
0: You know, uh, the capacity is something that we hit on a lot, and it's, it feels like we're not getting good answers to it. Um, the current capacity limitations on the canyons are literally parking sp- spots for the most part, and then there's people that ride transit. The thing that worries Me and you know I know we've talked about as a board for Wasatch Backcountry Alliances, the expectation is that um, regardless of the transportation solution for Little Cottonwood Canyon is that all parking spots would remain would still be filled on big days, big weekend days, and then we're now moving a thousand people to upwards of three to four thousand people per hour on those big days into the canyons. Is that the experience we really want?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting with these carrying capacity studies. I mean, federal land management agencies do these all the time, uh, but it's all geared towards whatever your management objectives are. And if I manage Disneyland, you know, I I don't mind having infrastructure and people everywhere. That's the management objective I want. But if I'm trying to manage a wilderness um, area with limited visual impacts, limited noise impacts, and the ability, to, you know, to to see wildlife without, you know, hearing a snowmobile come by, um, those are very different management objectives. And you can man- you know, set your limit on how much you your carrying capacity is based on what those those limits are. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of different. This reminds me of my days back at the Jordan River Commission um, because. You know there there are so many different ideas on what could happen along our Jordan River, and there's probably a place and a time for any type of of development, a big building or a, a wildlife preserve. Um, we just need to find the right places and the right ratio.
0: Tom had a question.
1: Um, one uh, a question I have, and you talked
3: about it, you talked about it earlier about sort of a possible combination of solutions, and um, we haven't gotten to to talk with the. Um, the train or the gondola folks yet about the timeline of when they want to have a solution. But, you know, the, the U. E. I. S. is talking about like a 50, you know, something something that um, is going to be online by 2050. And that's great. But, you know, if we have snow by then, I'll probably be long gone. And, um, you know, we have a big, I don't need to tell you guys, we have a big problem right now. You're more acutely aware of that than, than anybody. And so... It seems to me intuitively that a bus system has the best opportunity for uh, an enhanced system being implemented quickly. And we saw that, I think you um, Lauren, you pointed that out with your 2018 uh study. And so um I guess what I'd like to find out is from you is what can what can the bus system do for us both in the short term and then maybe transitioning, do you see it possibly transitioning towards a long-term solution? So like if they say, okay, we're gonna do a gondola and it's gonna be ready to go in 2035, what's gonna happen between 2022 and 2035? And is that really, is that gonna be a bus solution? And do you think you will be able to ramp up effectively to avoid the red snake in both canyons, not just LCC, but
2: both canyons between now and then? Boy, I can I can start at this and then Lara, with her uh, great planning vision um, can can add to that. So I think there are still a number of things that can be done with some resources we could add frequency that would require additional resources. But again, the effectiveness um, of those uh, that investment will be minimal if we don't do something with the congestion right so. If there's some way to, uh, again, uh, limit uh, the time that it takes in and out of park and ride lots, that kind of thing, outside of the canyon, maybe getting some a uh, dedicated, uh, using the middle lane just for transit to to get to the canyon more quickly, um, and then enforcement in the canyons of the tire chains and snow snow tires, that type of thing, to. to uh, reduce the, the amount of congestion. Those types of things I think we can do between now and the big answer, um, but it has to come with some of these congestion mitigation efforts or it it won't provide what I think people are wanting uh, that investment to provide.
1: Yeah, I think um, that, Tom, you, you hit the, or, you know, touched on a really important thing is that even if we all decide that Perhaps a rail, a train, is the solution that we want. Um, It's it's a long ways out still, right? That's a lot of money to accumulate in order to build it. There's a lot of federal approvals. You've got to do the environmental process on that um, uh, by itself. You know, it has to have you know its own clearance. um, Once you once you figure that out, I'm assuming. Don't quote me on that. Um, Maybe this would take care of it, but. you know, it's going to be a while before something's implemented. And so I I do go back to that idea of kind of growing into the solution and what can we do today in order to, um, to address the issues. I do think um, in terms of kind of a, a hybrid solution, it's good to have a backup always too, right? And, um, you know, there may be some sort of emergency where, or a, a mechanical issue or an accident um, on one of these, uh, you know, either a gondola or a train and, it's really helpful to have another way in and out um, for people if if we need that. Um, Obviously there's a lot of residents in the canyon as well and they need the ability to be able to get in and out. And so maintaining roadway access, as long as you've got roadway access, you can put on a plus on it Um, and you might as well take advantage of that.
0: Well, um, we are running out of time. It's just amazing. Um, You know, uh, it's such a complicated kind of issue Um, I want to just follow up really quick as we wrap up and then Tom think of any final questions you have uh, because this has been really helpful what what are some things that you envision because regardless of where it's at you're working on the day-to-day now and you're probably looking ahead for your plan for next year what can we do right now to alleviate traffic congestion and next year I mean a lot of people really do think about that they're they're not worried about 2050 I mean I love that we're planning for that um but you know what? What can people expect to see? I mean, what you know, I think people want to support some because they're they're tired of it, they're frustrated, uh, they get angry about
2: it. Like, what's in the works, and what, what can we do to solve it now? I Can share a couple of thoughts operationally. Um, in the immediate, I don't know that there's a solution to disincentivize people from driving or incentivize them to to get to the bus. Right, that may be a phase two or three. But right now, uh, when we have the congestion, having maybe an escort from Canyon, uh, the the, uh, police escort to get around uh, that congestion. So those buses that should be going every 15 minutes can actually deliver that 15 minute frequency What's um, what would
0: what's stopping something like that from happening? I love that idea.
2: Resources. I believe the legislature has been working on uh, maybe providing some resources uh, uh, to be able to do that, and maybe something will come of that this year. But it's just amount of resources. I think people are willing, but on those days that we need it the most, our own transit police and those the police in the canyons are the busiest, right? And so it needs to, we need to bring in additional. Um, Resources to do that, so assistance getting around that, and then priority getting up and down the canyon once those canyons reopen. You know, after an avalanche, that's something we can do right now. We do a bit of that. The more that we did, uh, the better uh, the service would be right now.
0: Do you know a, a champion at the legislature that likes that idea? I mean, like, what, let's do it. Like, it, to me, it, it seems like a, a minimal cost considering these other
2: massive, huge capital expenses that we're looking at. Yeah, I don't recall who the champion is right now, but it's it, that's a lot of support, it seems. Laura, do you know?
1: yeah no, I would just I don't know who the legislative sponsor is, but I would say um and a uh, plug shout out to the CWC on this because they're really um the champion for this and have been um, really trying to to bring this up at the we actually had funding um in the last legislative session for this idea that it got cut with all of the budget cuts as part of covid so um i'm hopeful that it's it's something it's going to happen and yeah kudos to the cwc for championing
0: i i have to say I, I i really like hearing you know those kind of creative solutions that you guys are pushing for that because a lot of times i mean it's it's frustrating to think about how long it's going to take these solutions to be solved and people are like I don't know if I want to go skiing next year. This is, you know, I've heard people say that. I'm like, this is crazy. Um, with that, um, Tom, do you have any final questions? We're right at the top of the hour here.
3: Um, let's see. First, I, I want to kind of uh just reiterate to the folks watching that um, you know, two years, <clears throat> two seasons ago, uh UTA sort of stepped into a bit of a void and said, Hey, we can improve uh the service here we have um with higher frequency. Um, but you didn't have any, any budget for it. You said we could do it if we have if we had the budget. And the CWC uh did contribute a fair chunk of money for that. And I think that uh I can speak for the board of the Washington Country Alliance that we were proud to be able to support that with money of our own. Our members, you know, uh it, it's a it's a free membership to the Wasatch Back Country Alliance, but we have fundraisers and people uh, donate money at the end of the year, that kind of thing. And we were happy to donate money, and I think that um even though that was a big snow year and people were um you know that we had the crowds regardless it would have been that much worse if it wasn't 320,000 people riding the buses so we appreciate the good work that you guys have done we appreciate the good efforts that you've done um and i think that we all agree that in the short term uh, meaning really probably five to ten years unfortunately is sort of short term even though short term for me is what am i going to ski tomorrow um that we all are really relying on um, UTA to help alleviate the traffic problems in the short term, and it's nice to talk about these pie in the sky things. But the, as you point out, they're they're uh, they're far out in the future. So in the short term, we really um, want to sort of extend our gratitude towards you guys and encourage you to keep on pushing to alleviate this congestion and keep the bus frequency up and keep thinking about ways to improve it. So that even if backcountry skiers are driving up to go to White Pine, we know that there are a lot of resort skiers who are taking the bus and are not, um, not driving up, getting in our way when we need to go get our, our uh, first tracks.
2: So, well, we feel the same way. That partnership, that was a real success story, wasn't it? Yeah. So by modifying the route a bit to shorten it, we were able to increase the the, the frequency and then the contribution that came uh, with your help through the CWC that really, it was successful. Um, we, we did another thing, just a simple idea that the resorts and CWC and others supported is we uh, previously had uh, um, ski racks inside the bus and we pulled those out and people think, well, that was just a way to put more people on the bus. Yeah, it does create more room, but that wasn't the driver. The driving reason behind that was it slows down the service to wait for people to get to those skis and get out. And so it sped up the service so that we were able to increase the frequency. And so it was little things like that that aren't 20 years down the road that with the stakeholders such as you all, uh, we can do some some great things. And, And that was a great example.
0: Let's let's uh, we we, we support you guys in, in doing some of these things that make an immediate difference. Um, after this, please let us know. You know, we we have a pretty vocal community that can get fired up about things, and um, you know, we're trying to educate people right now, but for real, like these things, they're there's that's what we've been feeling like for years that there's solutions that exist today that could make a difference. Um, and you know, I love that kind of thinking, and, and we want to support that with you guys. So, um, with that, we're, you know, we're a little bit over our time. So, uh, Laura, Lauren, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave with our audience?
1: No, just thank you so much for caring um, about this, for the great opportunity uh, to come visit with you all and uh, pray for snow. There's a little bit more coming this weekend, hopefully. That's
2: right. Um, any final thoughts, Lauren? Oh, uh, no, thank you so much. I think we have a common passion for the canyons and wanting to make a difference, and we all recognize that there are challenges, and so we want to be a partner to help solve the problem.
0: Well, thanks for that. Uh, you know, I wanted to highlight. You know, we we just kicked off this series called the Uptrack. You know, about a month ago, and th- this live event is great. But then it gets almost immediately; it's available to view on Facebook after this, and then we also launch this up through different podcast venues. And we've been having you know 500, 600 plus people tune in and listen to this, and so people are really interested. They're probably really pissed off and angry about what's going on, but you know, communicating what's happening here has helped us understand more about the issues because it's so complicated. And uh, you know, our hope is that you know our community can better understand what's happening as well. So, really, want to thank you for participating. I know it's after hours, and that sort of thing. Um, so, thanks so much. And before I wrap up, we do have Wasatch Backcountry Alliance is doing a fundraiser. Uh, You can visit our Facebook page or wasatchbackcountryalliance.org. We have our backcountry film festival you can do from the convenience of your home and download these really fun, um, amazing videos that, you know, really about being out in the backcountry in the winter. So I'd like to encourage everyone to do that. Um, In two weeks, we have our next um episode of the uptrack will be featuring um, advocates of the gondola and so we're really looking forward to that discussion so with that i want to thank everyone for participating everyone for viewing it live and everyone else who is uh, listening into the recorded um, episode in the future Um, have a great weekend you guys thank you so much